Hello, welcome to finally another episode of Darth Talks Tech. How are you guys? Nick, congratulations, sir. You are the first one in chat today. Well, unless you count my tests, but that doesn't count. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, man, it feels like it's been forever since I've been... Well, not since I've been live, but since I've been on the podcast, you know? I've actually been streaming quite a bit to my Darth channel, The Real Darth Guy on Twitch, and uh, actually I'm having a lot of fun with streaming again. So I started playing games over there because, you know, the Darth Talks Tech channel is specifically for the podcast. And I've been playing Ghost Recon and having a blast over there, actually. I've, I've streamed every single night since last Friday, actually, which is kind of... Kind of interesting. Uh, Nick, you ask, notice, or, well, yeah, notice you're not live on YouTube. That is correct, sir. We're going to talk about that a little bit in topic number three today. Um, there's very specific reasons why I've decided that the live streams of Darth Talks Tech are going to be on Twitch from this point going forward until some things change. But uh, there's a couple people who were asking about it, and I said that I would. Uh, be covering it in the podcast, so I want to give them a little bit of time to be able to trickle in and get in on the conversations as well. So we'll cover that a little later. Uh, but yeah, welcome to the... Well, it's not the first episode that we've ever streamed to Twitch, but it is going to be the first in a long string of permanent Twitch streams for Darth Talks Tech. So kind of an interesting... Uh, it's not really even a finding, it's just a frustration, you know. Uh... A couple announcements, actually just one announcement specifically. Tomorrow night is the Game Awards 2021. And last time I streamed the Game Awards was 2019, and we had a blast doing it then. So I'm going to stream it again tomorrow. It starts at 9 p.m. U.S. East, so, you know, 6 o'clock on the Pacific Coast. But, uh, you know, they gave you these little... I'm showing uh, my little badge on the stream here for the Game Awards live December 9th. Microsoft Theater, Los Angeles, official 2021 co-streamer scan to stream uh it's it's like a fake little event badge it's kind of cool it's it's just one of those things where you know you we haven't had any like live events for so long uh and you know you can hang it along with all your other event badges and things like that on like your your uh souvenir walls or something like that i don't know but it was free for anyone who signed up to be an official co-streamer, which literally wasn't like you had to pay money or get accepted in. You literally sign up and they just have a giant list of people. I don't think anything, like they're not going to promote anyone or anything like that because, well, there's probably tens of thousands of people where you can go watch their commentary over, that was a weird way to say that word, over the top of the Game Awards. Uh, I'm going to put together some polls and stuff so we can actually have active polls for each category so that the chat can vote on what they think is going to win or you know we can we can kind of give our opinion on it and uh, have some fun during the stream it'll be fun i'm actually pretty excited because it's been a while since i've done a co-stream of, of a live event like that now uh one thing about those events is that you have to catch it live because last time in 2019 when i actually streamed it i did put the video on demand or i kept the vod up on twitch and then i also put the vod up on youtube and got hit with DMCA because I'm not the kind of streamer that's going to mute the like trailers and things because you're going to miss the overall feeling of the trailer. So tomorrow we're not going to mute, but we're also not going to have the VOD. So if you want to see the Game Awards discussions and things like that tomorrow and talk video games all evening, be here or what's the same? Be there. Be square. Right. Costa, welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome couple news items to cover uh we'll go ahead and knock those bad boys out for the day uh i don't know if you guys saw but today gta gta online is releasing some new dlc talk about beating a dead horse right well i i say beating a dead horse because like in my mind gta online's been out so long like it's over for me i haven't been back in gta online probably in over a year and a half something like that right and I see, I see all the time that they're releasing these new content drops and just these new things. And I'm like, man, when are they just going to talk about GTA 6 or like the next evolution of GTA Online, you know? But I guess if they're making money, whatever, right? It is, well, speaking of making money, it is a free DLC. Um, and it's like, it's going to be released on December 15th. Uh, it's set in the years after. We don't know how many years after. At this point, if you literally took live timing 
and you said, okay, it's 10 years after the initial events of GTA 5, it would actually count in real time. Isn't that ridiculous? Uh, but your friend, it's kind of led by Franklin. You're not playing as Franklin because you're your online character, your silent protagonist person. And I guess he's a couple notes I wrote down here is the story is focused on Franklin working in like celebrity solutions agency. So it's going to feature like Dr. Dre and new music from him, which is kind of cool. The only problem with that is like, that's obviously going to be all copyright protected music, right? So how are streamers going to be able to stream that expansion with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg on the tracks? You're just not going to be able to get the full experience because you're going to have to mute the music, right? There's no way that they're going to license that so that every streamer can, can play it, right? Or am I crazy for thinking that? But you know, uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a long fetched idea where Dr. Dre lost his phone, which is full of unreleased music, and then you have to be tasked with going and securing the tracks from like different nightclubs and different locations and stuff like that. So the D R E, you know, I think it's gonna be really cool, but it's gonna have to be something like as a streamer that you're gonna have to play offline because there's no way you're gonna be able to just rock out a Dr. Dre track on stream right that would be cool if they were like hey these are all streamable and you you're not gonna get dmca'd but i don't see that happening with something like dr dre right and like at the very end of the trailer if you haven't seen the trailer there's a section in there where snoop dogg's rapping in in the song as well so like you're gonna have a pretty cool collection of new music to listen to and uh I don't know. It'll be kind of neat. Uh, GTA Online, like I said in the beginning of this, it's just something that I don't play anymore. Nick, I think most people will probably play it anyways, or just play it anyways. I agree with you. Um, the thing is, though, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Ludwig, or Ludwig, I don't know how you say it. I think it's just Ludwig, but if you say it in like the German version, whatever. He went over to YouTube, right? And he watched a short clip of the song of a, a video that had Baby Shark in it, and his stream got taken down for 72 hours. So obviously, YouTube streaming is a little bit heavier and a little bit quicker on the live DMCA takedown type stuff because it was like he played it. A couple minutes later, he was down and he was suspended for 72 hours. Brand new, shiny new YouTube contract. He even did a video of like him switching cars from a purple one to a red one and then like in the first week he gets banned he actually got banned a second time as well so it's not exactly a smooth sailing uh, experience for ludwig over there which is kind of kind of interesting you know he he takes it in stride though he knows like what he did wrong and he's like well it's dmca music i just didn't think that it was going to hit me that quickly and i thought that maybe a short little clip wasn't really going to get me dmca and it totally did so on YouTube, it seems like they're a little bit quicker because the content ID system probably watches live streams. Maybe Twitches doesn't watch live streams because, as you all know, like you probably watch a couple streamers out there that they play copyright music all stream long and they never get hit, you know? Twitch even has that like shadow version where like in OBS, you can actually send a separate music track so that your videos on demand have no music, but your stream has music. So it's like this real gray area where Twitch is, Twitch is like, we want you to be able to play copywritten music, but not get DMCA'd over your VODs, which is really a weird gray area on Twitch. But we know very well, we know very well that Twitch is, uh, when it comes to their terms of service, they're kind of like, well, we'll, we'll enforce it when we have to, you know? They're kind of on the, uh, on the... If we don't get caught, <laughs> we won't get in trouble kind of thing, you know? Kind of weird, but hey, I guess uh, that helps a lot of streamers get away with playing whatever they want, you know? I even watch a couple where they're like, they'll put together Spotify playlists and they'll go, please, whatever you do, do not stream this music. I know I stream it, and for some reason I don't get DMCA'd, but I don't want you to stream it, and then all of a sudden you get DMCA'd and banned from Twitch. And it's, it's a real weird, like interaction because you're like okay so you're a huge streamer that has a bunch of eyes on you hundreds of people if not thousands of people watching you and you're not getting dmca'd over it but that's a whole nother conversation we can 
We can have a whole entire podcast episode about the gray areas of Twitch's TOS, right? Crazy stuff. <clears throat> Second news item I have here, which is kind of scary to me. I'll be honest with you. So a new Splinter game is in development in some form. We don't really know what form that's taking, but uh, there's this guy Tom Henderson on Twitter that I follow, and he's he seems to be real connected within the games universe. So if you if you don't follow him, you might actually want to because he gets a lot of early information, and a lot of the time, it ends up being correct. So he put a tweet out there talking about the new Splinter Cell game, and I guess it's supposed to be, and this is in quotes because it's him saying it, but he quoted it as well, so it's someone else saying it. So it's like, I'm the fourth party, I, I guess. But anyway, it says, a more stealthy version of Assassin's Creed, which is weird in itself, right? Because Assassin's Creed, at least at the heart of it, was originally one of the most stealth games, stealth gameplay style games out in existence. Now, the new ones with Origins, Odyssey, Valhalla, they... They're a little bit more hack and slash, but you can still play it as stealthy as you want to. So it's a really weird statement to say a more stealthy version of Assassin's Creed, because like, how do you get, how do you get more stealth than stealth, right? Like, how do you get more, how do you get a harder, stealthier mission in a game where there's some missions where you, if you're spotted, you fail? So that's a weird statement. And then another, the one that really kind of got me was similar to how Halo Infinite has done its open world. I don't think Splinter Cell really necessarily needs an open world. Now, Ubisoft, as we all know, they pretty much only do open world games, and that's about it, right? So, like, if you were to take Ghost Recon Wildlands, and I specifically chose Wildlands because I believe Wildlands is actually the better game, even though I'm playing Breakpoint right now on my Real Darth Guy channel... If you take that open world and, and plop Sam Fisher in it and make him the player that you are becoming, it kind of loses its Splinter Cell feel. And then it just feels like Ghost Recon again, you know, with a skin over it. So it might just be kind of like that. But the problem is, is like, Sam Fisher isn't the kind of per isn't the kind of operative that just roams around the world. He like flies into a location, does his job, and then gets airlifted out kind of a feel, you know? So it feels like it might be forced, and obviously we'll have to see what's going on, but I still stand by my statement with Ubisoft of, I don't want them, I don't want them taking any of the franchises, whether it be Division, Ghost Recon, Splinter Cell, Assassin's Creed, I, don't like, I basically don't want any more new games from them at this moment, because right now Ubisoft is so misguided in the way that they're handling their franchises that they're ruining they're ruining some classics right and that that kind of brings us into topic number one nfts in games right so yesterday i signed into ghost recon to play on stream just to have a little bit of fun nice chill night and whatever and, and you know like most games they have those little pop-ups that like tell you about new features or new things that they're planning whatever so I pop in there and I'm like, Ubisoft Quartz. What the hell is Ubisoft Quartz? And so naturally I'm like, okay, let's open the website. I open the website and I start I start looking at it and the first two paragraph or the first two sentences have no idea. It's like it's it's smoke and mirrors saying it's gonna enhance your gameplay experience and give you a unique experience. And I'm just like, what the hell does this mean? The third sentence finally gets into it. It's NFTs built into Ghost Recon, and, and Ubisoft is is experiment, experimenting with this, specifically with Breakpoint. And I don't... I'm still kind of up in the air. How do you guys in chat feel about NFTs in games, or NFTs in general? See, I'm still... I think NFTs ultimately will will turn into something that can kind of be unique and kind of be good for the world. But right now, I don't really feel like NFTs are ready for for most of their applications so far. We talked about it on a previous episode where it just feels like it's kind of kind of ghost gross. I read ghost because Nick, you put Ghost Recon. Um, but it's like in gaming. Here's here's the things that and and I. And I understand where you're coming from, where you say it just means you'll actually have ownership of your digital assets slash skins. 
But here's the thing that I have a problem with. Like, I already have skins and I already have things in the game that don't ha necessarily have a serial number because I'll use the helmet as an example. The helmet that you can get as an NFT has a serial number on it and you own that unique copy of that helmet. Which does sound cool in the realm of ownership. But let's think about the realm of gameplay. That exact same helmet without the serial number is already available and I already have it in game. So, it doesn't change gameplay, it doesn't improve gameplay, it actually doesn't improve the game at all. So, the only thing that it does for Grand, or I almost said Grand Theft Auto, the only thing that it does for Ghost Recon in general is just add a monetization layer that is absolutely 100% unnecessary. So I don't want NFTs to be put into games without doing something to actually improve the, the actual game. Nick, you say I, it can improve the user experience if you like to sell your items to another user. Yeah, but here's a problem. So in Ghost Recon, you get this unique mask, right? Ghost Recon, we wait for a couple years and that, now Ghost Recon no longer is played by anybody. It's, it's an old game. It's only played by, it's kind of like a pick a Nintendo 64 game that's played now, right? Who are you going to sell that to? So if no one's playing the game and you can't take that asset to another game because that hasn't been confirmed either. So I'm kind of, I'm jumping to conclusions here because, well, I've never seen a game ever where my cosmetics from one carry to the next. That doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means it hasn't yet. So we have to go off of so far what we've experienced, right? So you have this helmet that's completely unique to you and that you could sell if you really wanted to to someone else, if you could find another buyer. But there's no use for it. There's absolutely no reason for anyone to ever want it from you or to ever desire to buy it from you. You see what I'm saying? And now another thing that I think could ultimately end up being a terrible experience for the gamers and this NFT new world that we're going to get into, right? Let's take graphics cards. So let's take graphics cards as an example right now. A lot of people want a 3000 series graphics card, but bots are buying all these graphic cards and then putting them on eBay or wherever and marking up the prices. And now people can't get them for retail prices. Of course, supply and demand, that's how it works. We're going to now have a problem in games where an exclusive cosmetic is released. Bots buy up all the copies of those cosmetics. And then now the only way for you to get that cosmetic is through some kind of scalper. So now you can't get that helmet in your favorite game because all the bots bought it and now you can go to eBay and you can buy the NFT for or wherever NFTs are sold. Sorry, I, I'm just using eBay because that's a very relatable example. You now have to go to eBay to buy this helmet and you have to bid on it and now it's a bidding war and now how do you get a hold of these unique cosmetics that's in a game that you actually care about but this bot or this company purchased them all up so they can mark up the price and just basically scalp them for profits, you know? So now your $60 game, now you're looking at a $100 helmet in a $60 game, and you're like, well, that's that's not good. If stuff like that starts to happen, I could see NFTs falling flat on their face in the realm of gaming. Now, I know that's just kind of how the world works. When it's exclusive items, people buy them up, like concert tickets, scalpers buy them, and then resell them to the public, and that's kind of just something we have to deal with and I absolutely hate it but when that starts to happen in the gaming realm I think we're going to be in a little bit of trouble so I don't know if there's a plan I don't know if there's a way around it I don't really know how we could prevent something like that from happening but that's where I ultimately see NFTs going is we're going to get them regardless. So it doesn't matter if we like them or hate them. They're coming. Like, if we've learned anything about monetization of video games, no matter how much the public hates it, it'll eventually be a thing. Microtransactions are a prime example where everyone hated it. The government even got involved. But did they go anywhere? No, they just changed. So NFTs are going to go through growing pains just like that. And technically speaking, microtransactions could have... Microtransactions and F NFTs are like one and the same. So you're going to have... You're going to pay for microtransactions, but it's going to come with an NFT to prove that you have the unique one. So they're one and the same. But I hope they have some kind of plan to prevent this bot situation where you just can't get a hold of anything or, you know... Or the other side is going to be... 
they're going to have to make so many copies of it. So let's say instead of making 100 or 50 unique copies of this helmet, since we, we've been talking about the helmet, now they're making 10,000. So now all of a sudden it's not really something that's so coveted anymore. And then they lose their value because there's too many of them. So you run into a really difficult um, kind of push and pull. You know it would be kind of cool. I just came up with this in my mind because I was I randomly had a thought of player-based customization. <coughs> so how cool would it be? Uh, let's take Forza 5 or Forza Horizon 5. We all know, or if you've ever played Forza, there is a a market for like custom vehicle paint jobs and custom vehicle setups and things like that. So what if, uh, who makes Forza? Is it Microsoft or I forget who makes Forza, the makers of Forza. What if they gave their players a way to create a custom item and you can apply this to first person shooters with custom outfits or masks or whatever. If the game makers gave us a way that the players could make unique items and then sell them as NFTs, and then maybe the game maker takes a small cut of that NFT in the initial transaction. That would kind of be cool. So now you have an NFT market, but it also becomes a designer market. So it's almost like a Fiverr for Forza 5, Forza Horizon 5, where a designer can go in there, build really unique items, really nice paint jobs for cars and different setups or whatever it may be in the game that really matters to to whoever's playing right and then you can buy the nft for that and then that goes on the the forza horizon market and then it could be sold and, and actual nfts go around in that way i could see that working really well if if you get the community involved in the creation of the assets that become nfts i think that would be i think that might make it a success i really do because there are some amazing artists out there for forza paint jobs or for miscellaneous other things in other games where there's custom work right that would be a crazy way to usher nfts into video games and i think it would be more widely accepted amongst communities because now you're, you're not supporting yeah sure ubisoft gets a cut or microsoft gets a cut of the of the initial sale or maybe even all the sales at a very small minuscule percentage or something like that or you know they since they're using the in-game store they take a cut right there for the transaction whatever they can figure that out right but then the community supporting other community members with nfts rather than just the nfts coming straight from the the producer or the publisher or the big company you know I think that would help it a little bit. Nick, I think that's sick. The only problem, of course, is with all NFT stuff is gas fees. On chains like Solana, they have very minimal, a fraction of a cent. However, with Ethereum, the most popular blockchain at the moment, gas fees can be 30 to $40, which is crazy. That is, that is quite crazy. So, while Ubisoft also put on their website for uh, Ubisoft Quartz that it's uh, energy efficient, they just had to put like a buzzword in there, of course, right? So I think there there does have to be something, someone smarter than, some accountant that's smarter than me in the mathematics of all of the transactions can probably forecast out a little better than I can. But I, I think if you integrated the community, the actual gamers, the design, the the people who create things within the game if you integrated them making something off of these nfts i feel like it would be a, a lot better for for gaming because then then you are give, getting something that's actually affecting gameplay someone is spending their time they're designing these things they're i don't know it just seems a little bit more more gamer friendly where you're putting the tools in the people's hands. So like Far Cry 5, for instance. <coughs> Sorry, I will try not to cough in, in your ears as much. But uh, So take Far Cry 5, for instance. There's a map maker in there. So a map could be sold as like an NFT. Kind of an interesting concept. A Obviously a weapon skin, a cosmetic for like a shirt, pants, whatever. A car design. All kinds of different things you can you basically anything digital you can make an nft right i think uh i think that could work i'm still struggling right now because 
the the big wave, the initial wave that we're going to see of NFTs in games, we all know it's going to benefit the big corporation more than it's going to, be- to benefit the gamer. And I think that's where that's where Twitter's sitting right now. I don't know if you follow a lot of the NFT talk on Twitter, but uh, NFTs in general are being talked about in a pretty positive tone. Probably on my Twitter, it's pretty positive because I follow more of the positive <laughs> mindset people. Just because, well, sometimes if you follow too many negative people, then obviously it gets kind of gross. But the NFC in the realm of gaming, NFTs in the realm of gaming right now is just getting lit up. There are the people that are are real strong on the NFT side for other things that are like, NFTs are going to change video games. And then there's the other people, which are the gamers, which are pushing back, just like they pushed back on microtransactions. And I, I still say... It doesn't matter how much we push back. If the big companies want NFTs to be in games, NFTs will be in games. It's just like microtransactions. So we have to we have to figure out a way, or not 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 even we, because we have nothing to do with these decisions, right? It's all the big corporate guys sitting at desks that cost more than our houses that are making these choices. And hopefully they find a way to at least get someone like us on a board somewhere and that person can convince them that they need to make it more community friendly, right? I think that's the biggest problem right now is uh, there's no way for us to make cosmetics. Can you imagine it? I'm just going to take Ghost Recon because there's a pretty big Milsim community surrounding Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which I was really surprised about, I'll be honest with you. And a lot of them are, are, they'll complain about the fact that the uniforms aren't super accurate. They want this, they want that on the uniforms. If if Ubisoft gave them the tools, like the mod tools to be able to create that stuff and then just had a marketplace for everything to be put on and they, they took a cut of that, I think they would make tons and tons of money off of that. And it would be more like supporting, again, supporting your community, keeping the game alive. I don't, I don't. I don't really understand why some games fight against the mod community so much. Obviously, we know that with mod tools comes cheaters. But in a game like Ghost Recon and stuff, a lot of the time it's not PvP stuff. So, like, my my mods on my game would have no effect on literally anyone else in the world. So who cares, right? Kind of a... Kind of a weird thought. <laughs> Me, personally, I don't know where I stand on NFTs, you know? There, there are... I read a lot of tweets and articles and things, and, th- and there are articles that are very positive NFTs, and I agree with them, and then there are articles that are very negative on NFTs, and I also agree with them. So I'm just kind of like, I guess I'm sitting on the fence, if you will, you know, the, the don't really hate it, don't really love it, don't really have a super strong opinion of which way it's going to go, but I definitely can see where, I can definitely see where it's, it's either going to, well, the, it's kind of a stupid statement to say it's either going to be good or bad, but I, I see it being really bad in the beginning where it's it's ultra monetized and it's only benefiting Mr. Big Man at the top. And I see it changing over time. So I think the initial push of NFTs and games is just going to be gross and we're going to hate it. And everyone's going to be up in arms about how it's implemented, what they've implemented, all that. And then over time, they're going to start to figure it out to where it feels a little bit more acceptable, right? Kind of like microtransactions. I don't know where that came from. Kind of like microtransactions. So, like, I don't know if they're widely accepted, but I'd, I'd venture a guess and say yes, they're widely accepted only because of the fact that they make so much money. So, people buy them. I buy them. I used to hate microtransactions only because I came, I grew up in the days where you either buy the standard edition and then you buy the expansions if you'd like, or when you buy the whole game, you can buy the ultimate edition and you can get everything. And there's nothing else you would ever need to buy ever again. And then microtransactions started coming in and I would buy the ultimate editions because that's what I used to do because I wanted the complete experience of the game. And then I would get the Ultimate Editions, and I'm still doing it because I do, again, like the complete experience of most of the games that I buy. But and then there's there's all these little little transactions on top of it, whether it be, oh, it's a new jacket. Oh, it's a new weapon skin. Oh, it's a new character model. 
But I find myself still going, yeah, that looks pretty cool. I kind of want that. But I don't like the fact that, you know, I've already spent my $120 and I'm like, now I got to spend 20 again? Damn. So NFTs, I think uh, NFTs are a one-to-one ratio with microtransactions. And that's just every single microtransaction is probably just going to come with an NFT at this point. So let's take Warzone's, um, Warzone's Die Hard expansion. They're probably, instead of doing a limited time where you, you only have a certain window of days or weeks or months to purchase that, what they're then going to do is they're going to say, okay, now you only have a limited number of NFTs. Now, here's one thing that I can get on board with, right? So, Nick, here's where ownership and being able to sell it to others is cool. If I bought the Die Hard pack day one, I got one of 500 copies I have the NFT. Later on down the road, two years later, when Warzone is still popular just like it is today, and I go, you know what? I don't even use that skin anymore. Let's put it up on the marketplace and let's see if someone else wants it. And then someone else purchases that from me and then I can go purchase an NF- another skin for the game and change up how I look in-game. That's kind of cool. I can get on board with that kind of stuff because like, when, when they turn off the ability to purchase it, you just can't get it. You, there's no way for you to ever possibly get it again. But if someone was to put it up on a marketplace and sell it, I would be able to get it. Now, we still have to worry about the markups and how much they're charging and bots and all the stuff we've already talked about. But it does open up a little bit for a completely digital world, which, let's face it, we now live in. There's no such thing as a hard copy game anymore. Even that disc that you purchase, it's labeled... And it's got files on it, but the moment you drop that bad boy in there, you're downloading stuff from the internet anyways. So you're digital. The only thing that's sitting in your possession is the ability to put the disc in there. It verifies DRM and then lets you play the the same version that the person who bought it digitally has, right? So we're, we're in a completely digital world of gaming now. And people have always wanted to be able to sell and kind of like have a used market in the digital world. And I think NFTs are kind of like a a way to make that happen, you know? What if NFTs also usher in the days where I buy a digital game and then I can sell that digital game to someone? What if they do, I kind of doubt it, let's be honest, but what if that does come to fruition as well? Where I can say, you know what, I don't play pick any game i don't play horizon zero dawn anymore i'm gonna sell the my copy and that goes with the nft because that is your drm that is your proof of ownership it's no longer this well it has to be on my steam account it has to just be in your in your nft account your blockchain stuff or your wallet your crypto wallet. i think it's crypto wallet. i'm still a little a little behind the times in that because well there's a lot of stuff to learn out there you know but yeah, NFTs and games. Still a lot to learn, still a lot to, to check it. Yeah, Crypto Wallet, okay. You know what I don't like, though? Just last point on these NFTs and games and crypto and stuff like that. What I don't like is that I have, like, five different crypto wallets because, like, some things support one wallet, other things support another, and then another supports a, f- a third. Like, there's not just one, like, universal crypto wallet that you can just use everywhere, so I have to do the, the like, transferring of crypto all over the place to be able to buy it on different different markets because another thing about crypto is like one crypto seller or auction i forget what auction house whatever one place you won't be able to get a certain type of crypto but you can over here but you want to buy some some of this crypto that's only available on one some of this crypto that's only available on the other but now you want to transfer some stuff over and then you're like oh now now i have to pay a stupid fee because i have to go through a, a provider to verify the crypto transaction Ugh so annoying right use ledger live which doesn't support solana and it's frustrating since i have a ledger nano x which is a hardware wallet see like they've got to figure out a way to make it so that there's one it's almost like there needs to be a visa or mastercard or or discover of crypto where it's like okay this is your crypto account it works everywhere like we need that we absolutely 100 need that and it just there needs to be some standardization so that uh, 
I don't have to be like, oh, wait, where's all where's all my Bitcoin? Where's all my X? Where's all my Y? Like, because it's all like segregated all over. Or let's say I have a bunch of Bitcoin in two different wallets just, be, just because I do because of transfers and all that. And I'm like, well, I want to move it all over here. But if I move it all over here, then I don't have the purchase amount that I originally wanted because that middleman is going to take a, a cut. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. So hopefully that gets better, you know? Oh, man. But I don't think there's a future where NFTs and crypto don't exist. So, you know, a lot of people like to fight against the current when it comes to new things like this. But I think this is going to be something that is around forever. It will get refined and it will get better and it will get more understandable and there will be better ways to manage it. But they're here to stay, you know. There are projects trying to do cross-chain stuff. I believe Polygon is one. I'll have to check that out, Nick. Yeah, which actually, so when Ubisoft Quartz started last night, I was like, well, I have to look at it. I, I need to know what it's all about. So, of course, I had to get started, create an account, and they, of course, didn't support any of the wallets that I already had. And I'm like, man, I got to get another one. So there was two options. Uh, I can't even remember them off the top of my head. I should have wrote them down in the notes here. But uh, then I had to go into this big downward spiral of like, okay, let's research these two crypto wallets and find out some information about these because I've never heard of them. Ugh, gross, you know. NFTs and games, here to stay, in my opinion. And uh, it's going to get really bad before it gets better. And someone's got to figure out where where it kind of just, where it kind of sits, you know, where it kind of sits. Do you remember what chain they were on? It was something like MetaMask. It started with, uh, uh, no, I can't remember off the, right now, too much on my mind, sorry. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pull it up off stream and off the show and then message it in the real Darth Squad and let you know. Uh, so, moving to the next topic, because, wow, we could, we could probably, we could do a literal podcast that only talks about NFTs and video games, I bet. Like, that's it. I should, you know what I should try to do? I should try to get someone who, I should try to get two guests on the show. I should get one that is pro NFTs for one episode and one that is anti NFTs and games for another episode and kind of get a compare and contrast. I wonder if I can find someone who would hop in on a Discord call for about an hour and uh, be a guest on Darth Talks Tech. If you know anybody, please message me through any of the social medias out there, Darth Talks Tech. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll try to get a guest on and just pick their brain a little bit, you know, two of them. Because you want both views, for sure. Next up, crossplay changes. Cro basically, my personal opinion about the future of crossplay, because I, I get to a point of... I get to a point of frustration when I'm on like Twitter or Reddit or whatever, and crossplay is just basically a lot of console players hate crossplay now because of PC players. Well, let's get specific, not because of PC players, but because of PC cheaters, right? And I understand that. I completely understand that because it's something that I have to deal with in a lot of first person shooters and shooter games in general that I play. And I hate cheaters just like the next console player, or the next guy, right? But what I don't like is when they're like, we wanted cross-play, but we didn't want cross-play between console and PC. We wanted console to console. And I'm sitting there going, no, I actually wanted console to PC because I want to be able to play on my PC and my kids are on their console or anyone in the real Darth Squad that I want to pair up with. If they're on console, I want to be able to play with them. Who cares, right? I want it to be completely cross-platform like that. I think they're misguided a little bit. So obviously we need anti-cheats and we're not even going to talk about anti-cheats at this point. But I think what we really need is crossplay needs a input matching. Unless you're in a party. So if you're in a party, you're, you're thrown into the pool of anything goes. If you have a controller player in there and a keyboard and mouse player, doesn't matter their platform, anything goes. But if you get into a... Let's say you queue up for Warzone and everyone in your party has keyboard and mouse. I think you should be only paired with keyboard and mouse players. And another thing I, I think has to happen 
because I'm really sick of hearing it. All consoles should, at the console, like, OS level, support mouse and keyboard. There's no reason for them not to. They're literally, like, the Xbox has has their, can support mouse and keyboard. It should just be an OS-based thing where games can't lock you out of it. Because there's some games that even though you can use a mouse and keyboard on a PlayStation, you can't use it in that game because the developer decided that it wasn't a valid input method for you to use. Middle finger to that guy, right? I think crossplay needs to change in the realm of we need to be able to input-based matchmake and ranked playlists just need to be a thing, right? Because how many games do you play now, chat, that uh, the old days of casual player gone, right? The old days where you'd go in and just kind of relax and hang out in the video game are gone because now SBMM is in there, of course, but... Like, there's just no casual mode. The casual mode that the, that is in there is the only mode available, so naturally that's where all the competitive players play as well. So you're always in that, like... Like, when I play Call of Duty, there's never, like, a chill Call of Duty day. It's like, I have to be as good as I possibly can in Call of Duty, and that kind of sucks at times. Like, because I remember the old days where, you know, me and a couple buddies would be hanging out together, drinking, drinking beers, and just kind of casually playing, and still winning and stuff. But now if you if you're not on the best possible plays, you're just not gonna win, right? Nick, okay, however, games should be able to lock it. Example, Rainbow Six Siege on Xbox. You cannot lean unless you ADS on controller because there's not enough inputs otherwise. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. This is why there cannot be crossplay because leaning without ADS is such an advantage. Okay, I could see that. Or I mean, I guess the developer could change the way that works, but that that I do understand. So there's, you have to ADS and then you have lean buttons because that kind of acts as like a shift for some of the other keys. I understand that. But what if Rainbow Six Siege had input-based matchmaking? So if you were on a keyboard and mouse, doesn't matter your platform because it's supported at the base level of the Xbox or PlayStation and of course PC. Now you're playing against keyboard and mouse players only. And then if you're on a controller, you're only playing against controller players. If you happen to be in a mixed group where there's some controller and some PC players, the PC players are limited to only being able to lean well ADS. I think things like that could work. Because when you're playing with a mixed group of people and there are maybe limitations to to put put things in perspective, if you will, like, I would be able to accept that. I'd be like, oh, well, we're in a mixed lobby, so obviously then things change a little bit because of that, and I'm okay with that because I chose the mixed lobby. And then maybe mixed lobbies are only limited to non-ranked or non-competitive level playlists, just the casual playlists, possibly. There's a way that it could all all work out. Now, just... So I'm obviously a PC player, so, like, I feel like just kicking out the PC players from Call of Duty Warzone or Rainbow Six or, you know, any game that already has crossplay, just kicking out the PC players and be like, it's only console crossplay. I don't think is the solution. Obviously, like, anti-cheats have to be there because it's only the cheaters that you worry about. You know what? The hard part is, anytime people see that you're on PC in Warzone, if you kill them, they're like, you're a cheater. Like, you're, you've never outplayed them. It, there's never a moment where you just outplayed someone else. They're always like, well, you're a cheater. And you're like, whatever, man. Sorry, I you were running away from me, and I shot you in the back of the head with a sniper rifle. Yeah, I'm cheating. Whatever, dude. <laughs> like, But uh, I think ranked playlists, casual playlists, should be in all games. Um, Input-based matchmaking would work. I think that... Uh, at a OS level, PlayStation, Xbox should support any input method you want. Technically, if you think about it, supporting any input method like that is kind of an accessibility thing too because their controllers work for 99% of people in the world. 95. I don't even know the stat. Just pull a number in the 90s out of the air and that can be your stat. Those work for a lot of people. But there are that small percentage of people where a controller just doesn't work. Now, of course, they probably don't have the console that doesn't work with it or, or whatever. But 
If you just allow any input method, keyboard, mouse, controller, whatever, I think people would be overall happier. My son actually plays most of his PlayStation games with keyboard and mouse. Says he likes it better. And that's perfectly fine. But then he's like, well, I don't play it in this game because it doesn't support it for some reason. And, you know, it's just... It's like, well, that sucks because you actually enjoy playing games more with one input method versus another. That's kind of where I sit, too. Don't get me wrong. There are some games that absolutely require a controller. I will admit that all day. But I genuinely have more fun in like a first-person shooter, a third-person shooter. Most games that take precision aiming of some sort, I prefer keyboard and mouse. I just do. And it's because my engagement range... I personally, the way I play, like to engage targets from medium to long distance. If I was more of a run-and-gun shotgun player, I think I'd rather the sticks because spinning around and turning quickly would actually be more advantageous so you don't have to pick up the mouse and, and do one of those things when you're actually gaming. So I guess to summarize what I think crossplay needs is I think crossplay is dying for some input-based matchmaking. I think that can fix a lot of the the qualms. Now, I'm not even going to touch the anti-cheat problem because <sighs> cheating in any game that I play, if I see a cheater, I'm just like, I'm, I don't even want to play anymore. It just like deflates the excitement to a level where you're like, damn it, a cheater? Why? You know? So I understand the console players gripe with PC players because obviously it's going to be a lot easier to install a cheating piece of software on a PC. But Input-based matchmaking, I think, is needed. I think that would make things a lot more even. Halo actually does this. I don't know if you guys know, but Halo does in the ranked mode. If you're on keyboard and mouse and you go into ranked, you play keyboard and mouse players. If you're on controller and you're in ranked, you play controller players. The only time you actually mix is when you're in a, in a party. So my... My idea of the perfect matchmaking system exists in one single game. I don't know why I'm doing two individual fingers, because that would be two. But it does exist in one game, and it seems to work okay. Now, I'm not a main Halo player, so I don't play it a ton, but I think that's a cool compromise. I really do, you know? I do. Anyway, <clears throat> let's talk about why Twitch is still king for most creators, huh? Nick, I mean, for me, cheating isn't really an issue since Apex doesn't have a huge hacker problem. That's awesome. A. The main thing is there's, there's something called tap strafing, which is basically a super OP movement glitch kind of that every PC player uses, but is practically impossible on controller. So it's like an AD spam. So we call it AD spam in some games because, like, there's no... There's no inertia on movement, so you can strafe back and forth super fast, which makes it really difficult to aim at people in uh, games that don't have inertia. Um, so I, th I think I, I know what you're talking about, where it's just back and forth real super fast, and it's very, very difficult. Because on a controller, you would be from one side to another side, and on a keyboard, you can just like hold one key down and tap the other key, and it would be able to go back and forth. So I, I definitely understand that. And... And you know what? I honestly think that something like that is more of a more of an engineering problem, more of a development problem that should be fixed than it is necessarily a reason to segregate or a reason to separate people. So I think there there could be some development improvements to prevent the ability to do that. Now, of course, Apex Apex's movement is super fast, and <clears throat> one of the reasons that I I just don't like the movement feel of Apex over like a Call of Duty. Uh, probably because I play Call of Duty so much more than Apex, and I've only tried Apex a handful of times. But, you know, it's... Uh, I think that things like that, things that are OP and things that do cause problems in games like that could be fixed by the dev team if a little bit of attention was paid to it. So, I think that uh, that would help. But, yeah, who knows. But yeah, we, we have that in a couple games. Um... Tarkov is adding inertia to movement. We don't really have that in Ghost Recon. Or at least it doesn't feel like you, you move back and forth in a glitchy, almost almost impossible way when you go back and forth. But uh, there's probably a handful of games where it actually does do that as well. But I know what you're talking about, for sure. 
<sighs> so let's talk about Twitch. Let's talk about first, why did I decide to stream exclusively to Twitch again? You know, it's one of those things where I woke up one day and, and I'm sitting there. It's a constant struggle back and forth when, when you have the ability to go, go from both platforms. There's very strong arguments for YouTube. There's very strong arguments for Twitch. And you know what? For me, it just came down to tools. So it came down to the creator dashboard and the moderation tools that I have on Twitch versus what I have access to on YouTube. So one of my biggest gripes in the very beginning of my YouTube life was the creator dashboard or just, I think they just call it the dashboard over there, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. It's the, it's the thing that you have up while you're streaming to monitor different things, whether it's bitrate, some people chat, events, whatever it may be, right? On YouTube, it's as bare bones as you can get. You get a video preview screen, you get your chat, there's a tab for like stream quality and health, which will tell you if, you, if your bitrate is good, if you're jittery, whatever, right? But that's about it over there. There's really not a lot of tools there. Inside the chat, when you click on it, there's only there's very simplified options, and simplified sometimes is good, but I don't think it's good when you're trying to moderate a channel or trying to, let's say you're trying to time someone out or trying to ban someone or trying to do something to a user that's causing issues within your stream, right? YouTube just doesn't have the tools that, that are necessary. Another thing that you run into on YouTube, which this is actually something new that Twitch did. So the release of their new email verification settings slash phone verification settings for, for users to be able to talk in your chat, plus their ban evasion tool or ban evasion AI, I forget what they call it exactly. Releasing those two things were very, very unique because... Nick, I'm sure you remember, we had a couple of people come in and try to disrupt the podcast a couple times on YouTube. One time I even answered them as if it was an actual question. That happens, whatever, right? He was sly on his trollage. But I didn't have the tools necessary to be able to... Like, obviously I banned him after I found out that he was a troll. But when it came down to it, I was like, you know what? There could have been something in place like Twitch's phone verification settings and email verification settings that could prevent, at least prevent the newer accounts. Now, there's some trolls out there that are lifelong trollers, and that's understandable. They'll have a, they'll have a verified email. They'll have a verified phone number. That's just their nightly hobby is going into streams and messing with people. Whatever. They get banned. They're out of here. It's the new accounts that I worry about. So... When I came back to Twitch to do my, hey everyone, I'm going over to YouTube stream, when I came back after like my eight month break, I had a problem with follow bots that night. I think I got like 30 new followers that night, but they were all from like the underscore hollow account. I forget what the actual names were, but I, it was like underscore hollow or underscore some word, and it was just a bot account, and you knew because it was all, it all they all had that as the uh, suffix of the name and i was like man this is terrible like this is the worst experience when you're just trying to enjoy your stream you're hanging out and chit-chatting with people and then all of a sudden the wheels come off because you're like oh i just got 10 followers and then another block of 10 and then another block of 10 and you're just like oh i'm getting follow botted right now this sucks now we have the tools on Twitch to defend against that. So we have the, like I said, the email verification, the phone verification, but they didn't just simply give you a checkbox. They gave you settings that you can customize to the point where, like you're not limiting people as much as like just no one who has a, a verified, or no one who doesn't have a verified email can chat. It's like, okay, if the user doesn't have a verified email, they have to have an account for longer than a month or a week or a day or however long you select. They just, they give you more tools. Another thing, obviously, is that um, when you create a new account, so when I was 
coming back as the real Darth guy. And I was going to do game streams. I, of course, have a YouTube channel that is the real Darth guy. But I don't have 100 subscribers on that channel yet, so I can't have a custom URL. That is almost impossible to promote yourself with, right? Because then you get youtube.com slash channel slash random number generator, right? And it's a long one, too. It's not like a short little like five-digit, six-digit number. It's long. How do you promote that? How do you brand that? You can't. There's no way for you to do any branding with your username so that people can type it, right? Because another thing that's going around Twitter right now is Twitter wants to keep people on platform, which is natural for a social media platform. So there's a rumor out there saying that if you put links to your Twitch account, that your tweet is less likely to be recommended to the world because it's taking people off platform. Now, I don't subscribe to that at all, but if that's a fact, it wouldn't matter with YouTube anyways because you put that link on there. How, are, how is anyone going to find you? They can't be like, okay, all I have to do is type in youtube.com slash the real Darth guy. No, the, you have to give them that big UUID giant URL on there, which is just not going to pull people over. Not saying that a tweet really pulls people over anyways, but the creator dashboard is fabulous, is absolutely fabulous. There are improvements here and there, but generally speaking, I am absolutely satisfied with my experience with the creator dashboard on Twitch. On YouTube, not so much. Let's talk tools. Tools on Twitch, there's just more things. There's Chatty, which is a chat bot, which I actually just released a video on my YouTube channel about, that allows you to have your chat up, but it also allows you to set a ding or whatever sound effect you want on there so that if two minutes has passed and no one's messaged in chat, it will ding for you so that you can look at chat again and be pulled away from your game. So like when you're playing, inevitably you're going to get enthralled in the game. We're all gamers, right? If you forget to look at your chat, it will ding so that you know someone's messaged. It's a fabulous application that saved me from losing people probably at times when my viewership is low. Fabulous. There's another thing streamer.bot that's actually a website so streamer.bot is a twitch bot that can do anything i have it on my stream for the real darth guy now and i can while i'm playing a game i can talk to my computer so it does things for me i can share links by just telling it to share links i can switch scenes by just telling it to switch scenes i can do all kinds, it's like a list of like 30 different things that I can do by just simply talking into my mic. It's listening and it will do it for me. Now, I creatively named it Jarvis. So I talked to Jarvis and he pops up on stream and says, yes, sir. And does a couple of things like that. But there's tools like that. Now, that also links into events on Twitch. So if I get a subscriber, Jarvis tells me I have a subscriber. There's a lot of really cool things that you can do with Twitch. YouTube just doesn't have these tools yet. Now, of course, as YouTube is becoming more and more popular for streaming, StreamerBot has already said that it's a planned feature to be able to support YouTube events and things. I'm sure there's maybe a chatbot out there because let's let's be honest, the, the built-in chat of YouTube is lackluster, so someone's probably going to build something to improve it, right? There's just more... As a creator, Twitch is a lot more friendly to my experience of broadcasting than YouTube is. And I know YouTube's making huge strides right now. They're paying people big money to move over. Ludwig, or Ludwig, uh, Tim the Tatman, Dr. Lupo, uh, who else, whoever else has gone over there. Obviously, Doc didn't get a, paid a big contract. He got banned from Twitch, so that's a little bit of a different situation, but... There's these huge creators moving over, but here's the thing. Us small guys, we're not getting the bag of money to move over to YouTube. So we need a quality creator experience over there. Yes, there are fringe benefits like the, be able, the ability to be able to use SEO for your channel, improving your videos, scheduling your videos, using that SEO to try to bring people over. There's a collection of things there, but yeah. It's just not better than the tools that Twitch gives you to be able to control 
to moderate, to handle events. Just It's just better over on Twitch right now for the creator experience, you know? So that's ultimately why I switched. And that's ultimately why, like, I sat back and I, I looked at the two. And I'm like, YouTube has got some, some ground to make up. Yes, I do think that YouTube is the future of streaming. I honestly do. Unless Twitch does something to where SEO can help us within their search. But the problem is that Twitch has already kind of solidified the way that you find streams on Twitch is through the directory system. So the mindset is going to have to change a lot over there. When you go to YouTube, I never browse for anything. The first thing I do, go to YouTube, click search, type what I'm looking for. That's a massive benefit for any small streamer because now if you're better at SEO than Tim the Tatman, you can appear above Tim the Tatman. Now that's probably a bad example because let's be honest, he's a partnered streamer. You're probably not going to appear at up above him but whatever you know what i'm saying if you have the ability to seo improve your stream that was a weird way to say it and you can be at the top of any search list and youtube videos and live streams aren't only on youtube the largest search provider in the world most people open their browser type into the address bar that opens google all of your videos and your channel pop up in Google search results when you're on YouTube. They don't on Twitch. So, there's another massive benefit. But let's face it. Where do you go if you want to watch a live stream typically? If you're like, you know what, I feel like watching some League of Legends and pull a game that probably no one that, that attends this channel watches. I guess that's kind of a far-fetched... Uh, assumption but league of legends i want to watch league of legends for the day where do you go for live league of legends content i would be willing to guess that 95 percent of people go oh you go to twitch where do you go if you want to find a tutorial on league of legends oh you go to youtube so there's a lot of mindset that has to change and youtube's got a bit of ways to catch up to be able to change people's minds on where they want to go for streams, which bringing over big streamers is going to do that. But until they can make the experience as the creator a better experience over on YouTube, I don't think that there's going to be a mass exit of people going from Twitch to YouTube. Now, I could be wrong. Of course, this is just an opinion of one of the random creators that has played both sides and has returned over to Twitch. But once they catch up, if Twitch does nothing, YouTube will take over. Now, Twitch, of course, is, well, we all hope they're going to do something and they're going to plan for improved discoverability, maybe searchability of their website, etc. But until we get an announcement, we don't know. We do know that YouTube is working on stealing mindset for streaming. So we know that it's funny to call YouTube the little guy, but in the streaming world, they are. It's funny to think that uh, one side, being side YouTube, we know that they're planning on taking over. We know that they're planning on putting more tools. We know what's, not what's coming, but that some stuff is coming. Whereas on Twitch, we're like, I have no idea if they're going to do anything or not. Like, they might just sit back and go, well, if we die, we die. Who knows? Because... If you believe any of the big agency guys out there, uh, Devin Nash to be one, um, Harris Heller's starting to get a little bit on the Twitch hate train, which is understandable because they've had different experiences than me as a small, lowly creator. <clears throat> you know, if you believe those guys, Twitch doesn't, or Amazon doesn't give a crap about Twitch. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's false, but hopefully it's false so that Twitch stays alive. I don't know. It would be weird to live in a world where Twitch didn't exist anymore. But it could happen. I mean, MySpace was a thing before Facebook, right? I don't know. I don't know. It seemed like a little bit of a rant, but hey. That's okay. So. Again, let's recap that announcement. Game Awards stream tomorrow night. If, if you can make it to the Game Awards stream 
tomorrow night being December 9th, so obviously if you listen to this on podcast services next week, this doesn't count. But if you can make it for the Game Awards stream tomorrow evening, that would be fabulous. Uh, we're going to do some polls and pick our our little winners and, and see what we think based on uh, just our random opinions in chat. So it's going to be a good time. I'll probably start a little early. The Game Awards do start at 9 p. Is it 8 or 9? I can't. I always flip that. Pretty sure it's 8 p.m. Wow, none of this marketing material has the actual time. Oh, okay. Uh, Pre-show begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on thegameawards.com. So I'll probably start a little early, like 6.30 or 7, somewhere in that range to kind of build up to the Game Awards and have some fun. We can look at the nominees. You can prep for your votes for when the actual... uh, segments come up and things like that and uh yeah we'll have a grand old time but that's going to be a wrap for this episode of darth talks tech i appreciate it if you missed anything check it out on podcast services it'll be coming out on monday on all podcast services and of course on youtube if you like the video talking head version of the podcast as well but other than that i appreciate everyone being in chat and uh what time is it right now 709 i will probably have some dinner And then keep an eye out on the Real Darth Guy Twitch channel because I'm probably going to go over there and we might actually try a new game called Thunder Tier 1 later. Kind of interested in that one. I'm going to do a little research on it, eat some dinner, hang out, but uh, I should be live over at twitch.tv slash Guy in half hour, 45 minutes. Otherwise, follow Darth Talks Tech on all social and I will see you guys next week for the next episode. Thanks, guys.